looks like a number of kids made it to the back for Kiwi, but if you have kids that are pre-K through second grade and want to be in the worship instruction, uh, they can head to the foyer now. Uh, my name is Andy Wood, and uh, I'm the RUF Southwest Area Coordinator, and um, I'm going to be preaching this morning. It's great to be here. The Southwest Area is all of Texas and New Mexico, and so I work to oversee um, 16 of our campus ministries, uh, pastoring our staff, doing a lot of ministry coaching and working with presbyteries to oversee those ministries and um, to hopefully start new ministries. And so uh, y'all probably know that Keith had that job for a long time. And so I uh, have been Keith's replacement. We've been in Fort Worth for um, just over two years. Uh, my wife Amy is a TCU grad and um, it's been a real treat to be in Fort Worth and um, we worship at Trinity, but it's been great to be here uh, some and to be able to preach and bring God's word to you. Um, before we read our passage for this morning, I do need to give you at least one thing to pray for, for RUF, uh, if you are so inclined. Uh, we're in fall conference season right now. Actually, TCU RUF uh, is with about nine other RUF ministries from Texas uh, at T-Bar M Ranch down in New Braunfels, Texas, uh, for fall conference. Um, Billy Crane is a pastor in Kerrville, Texas, and he's preaching for them actually like right, right now, <laughs> this second. So uh, if you want to pray for them, they've been there since Friday, uh, Friday afternoon. Uh, it's been great weather. It sounds like from all the reports I've been getting, things have been going really well. And so we're excited. If, if you're familiar with RUF, you know that fall conference is a really important piece for us. We meet a lot of freshmen and new students at the beginning of the school year, and it is a mad dash, a rush to get students, if we can, to fall conference. Fall conference is a place where relationships are solidified and people who are kind of on the fringes of the ministry really start to feel connected. And so we're praying that all of that is happening right now this weekend, that even as students are driving back to campus this afternoon, that they would have new friends and a deeper understanding of the gospel, and that they would know Jesus in a, maybe a new or a deeper way. And so if you'd pray for that, I would appreciate it. Uh, even as I'm, I'm preaching, as things come to your mind, please be praying for them now. Uh, next week, uh, West Texas and New Mexico go on their fall conference, and then Texas and Texas A&M have their own conferences uh, in a couple of weeks. And so as you think to pray, uh, that would be a great, very tangible prayer request as we have uh, hundreds of students going on these trips over the next couple of weeks. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 20. In the Pew Bible, uh, it's pages 456 and 457. I'll read God's word for us this morning. And this is God's word for us. He gives it because he's good and he loves us. Psalm 20, verse 1. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. The word of the Lord. As we, uh, as we get into this, uh, kids, if, if sometimes it's hard for you uh, to pay attention in the sermon, let me give you a couple of, a couple of things to listen out for. We're going to have a discussion of the pronouns in this psalm. That, that doesn't sound very interesting, uh, but hopefully it helps you kind of figure out what's happening in this psalm. We're going to talk about the experience, the feelings that you get the night before a battle. We're going to imagine what it would be like um, to sit with other people in the, the night before a battle. And then we're going to talk about David and Goliath. So if you want to listen out for those things, that would be great. As we dig into this psalm, this psalm is actually paired with Psalm 21. Psalm 20 is the night before a battle. Psalm 21 is actually giving thanksgiving after a battle. But let me give you a little additional background. It's a, it's a little bit different of a psalm than, than maybe what you're used to in a couple of ways. As we look at the subject of the psalm. Now, David wrote the majority of the psalms, and he wrote them all usually for corporate worship, right? It's a, it's a we or a, a y'all, right? Uh, offering up praises or laments. Uh, sometimes he wrote them personally, right? This is like Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God, right? It's something that he wrote personally but is used by the Israelites in worship more broadly. This one's a little bit different. Look at verse 1. It says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. And it goes on, may he send you help, right? So the, the, the idea here, the subject is not just David writing a corporate prayer or even a personal one. He's talking about someone. That you, we get a, we get a hint in verse 6, it says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. That's the king. The king would be the anointed one, the leader of the Israelites. And, and then in verse 9, the echo, O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So what's happening here, the subject of this psalm is actually the king. The people are offering their prayers on behalf of the king, right? They're praying to God on behalf of the king. It's a little bit unique uh, among the psalms. The setting of this psalm would be that it's the night before a battle, the Israelites would gather regularly for worship, and there was a liturgy, and they would pray and offer, offer prayers and sacrifices to God. But this was a unique setting. They were meeting the night before a battle, praying that the king would have success, that he would have victory. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember your offerings and regard you with favor. May he grant your heart's desire, fulfill your petitions, May we shout for joy over your salvation. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. They are praying, experiencing the, the fear and the anticipation of what was to come, of the king leading the people into battle. Verse 1 calls it the day of trouble. There's a lot of anxiety, uh, certain fears that, that would inhabit the people. And so this, this psalm is meant to bring the people together in corporate prayers on behalf of the king. And the structure is interesting too. If you take a look at the structure, verses 1 through 5, the people 
are offering these prayers on behalf of the king. It's, um, may the Lord answer you, right? We're praying to God on the behalf of the king. And then in verse 6, things change. The pronouns change. It says this, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Now, we move from these corporate prayers being offered on behalf of the king to what would likely be the, the king himself. Potentially, it's the, the priest offering, you know, if the king is sitting here and the priest is leading the prayers. Either way, someone in verse 6, the king or the priest says, now I know, right? There's this beautiful confidence and assurance. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. And then in verses 7 through 9, it's the people again. The people are bringing their praises, right? They're bringing their confident assurance, right? Verse 7, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So it's this responsive reading. The people start offering prayers on behalf of the king. The king stands before them and with great assurance says, I know the king, that the Lord saves his anointed. And then the people respond, buoyed by this great confident king in front of them, or the priest standing, leading them, reminding them of God's saving action. I want to look at this, this psalm in two ways. Now that we have a little bit of a background and understanding of what's going on here, we want to look at our victory and also our confidence. The people, you can again, you can imagine the anxiety that they would be feeling the night before a battle. They'd be gathered, families worried about husbands and fathers, those go, soldiers going into to battle. Maybe some of you have had that experience with someone in the military uh, serving in a, on a deployment or going into battle. You know the, the sense of fear and trepidation, the worry and anxiety that can come with that. This psalm really roots the people's victory in the victory of the king. Look at verse 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation. The people are saying, we'll find joy in your salvation because what happens to you happens to us. Um, some of you will know uh, and are very familiar with David and Goliath, this probably one of the most famous Old Testament narratives. The story of young David going to meet his brothers who are encamped uh, to battle the Philistines. They've been waiting over a month, uh, and every day in that month, Goliath, this mammoth giant of a man, has come down from the camp of the Philistines to taunt and mock the Israelites and their God. And David, little David, shepherd David, shows up, and uh, he, he won't let this stand. He, he won't let the mockery of God himself stand. And so he says, we need to do something. And so uh, he puts on, right, you just remember the story, he puts on all the armor, and he, can, he can't even move uh, with all the weight of the armor. So he grabs his slingshot, he goes to the creek, grabs five smooth stones, and he goes out to Goliath, and Goliath just laughs. Who is this David, this little child coming uh, to fight me, right? And David takes one stone, and he puts it in a slingshot, and he gets it going, and he throws it, and Goliath is hit in the head and is felled, right? The Israelites are victorious. Now, 
the way that that sometimes get preach, gets preached is this, that you know that you have giants in your life, right? There are things that you can't conquer on your own, but if you had the faith of David, if you had the bravery and the courage to take your small stone, you could go up against the giants in your life, and so you need to go and be like David. And that, that preaches. <laughs> that will preach, right? I could, we could get really worked up and excited about going to conquer the Goliaths in our own life, and yet that's actually not the point at all of that story. Who are you in that story? Are you David? Am I David in that story? No. We're the Israelites in the camp hiding from our Goliath. That, that's who we are. We're up in the camp afraid to engage in our battle. And the point is we need a champion. We need someone to come and fight our battles for us. That's how David is a picture, ultimately, of Jesus himself. The one who would come and be our champion and fight our battles for us. And that's the point of the story. Not that you are David, but you need a David. You need one greater than David to come and fight your battles. And that's exactly what this psalm is telling us. We find our joy in the victory, in the salvation of our champion, of our king. In the day of trouble, we have a champion who fights our battles for us. We have one who has conquered, and we can trust him. That's the assurance that's happening here. May we shout for joy over your salvation. So the king stands and says, I know the Lord saves his anointed. In his victory is our victory. In his salvation is our salvation. We have confidence, not because we're prepared, not because we're willing with all the courage and bravery it takes to go fight our own battles, but because God saves his anointed, because he cares for and brings victory to his anointed, his Messiah, we can have great confidence. In your day of trouble, in this what feels like the hundredth month of COVID, in work challenges, in family strife, in whatever may be, you may be facing in your day of trouble, God doesn't act in response to your courage and bravery. He responds to his champion. He works on behalf of his anointed to save his people. Their victory, their assurance, their salvation is found because of the assurance and salvation and victory of the champion. That gives us great confidence as the king speaks in verse 6. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Then the congregation responds. It's as if they just stand and corporately say, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God, displaying their great confidence in God. The, the chariots and horses, would that's an interesting uh, usage here. That, those would be the most elite tools 
for warfare. Right? Your chariots and horses would be the fastest thing in the battle. They'd be the strongest thing in the battle. And they would be the thing that you would be tempted to put your hope in. Right? Uh, technological superiority as you go into battle. Right? And yet, our confidence should not be in those things. It should be in the Lord who stands behind them. It is the Lord who gives victory. I have a friend um, in the PCA, he's a pastor, actually was in our presbytery here in North Texas uh, uh, just until recently. His name is Todd Gwynup. Uh, he was a friend of mine from, from seminary, and he did some work in the Psalms, studying the Psalms, uh, doing some work. And one of the things that he did uh, in order to try to help teach the Psalms to his congregation, he wrote what he called anti-Psalms. So he basically tried to write the opposite of the Psalm. To, to, to drive home the point of, of what the psalm was trying to say. So I'm going to read you his anti-psalm of Psalm 20. And it talks about, this is really dealing with money and finances, but listen, listen to what he says, and you can kind of follow along here. May good fortune answer you in the day of trouble. May your assets protect you. May savings grant the support that you need. May responsible planning bring you security. May all of your goals be accomplished. May you delight in your achievements. May you have everything you want. And then it moves to the, to the king's part. Now I know that being responsible will save me. Bringing security in time of need. And then the congregation responds again. Some claim to trust God for help, but I trust the bottom line. Faith won't pay the bills, much less provide a comfortable nest egg. Better to live by something sure. Jesus is Lord, but cash is king. Now, that, that sort of hits between the eyes, I think, for a lot of us. Maybe it's in the gut. I, I don't know where it hits you, but um, it, is, it, it is our tendency. It is the cry of our hearts to want to hold on to something tangible, to put our confidence not in God, but maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it is the technological superiority in whatever. Maybe it's these things in our pockets. Uh, maybe it's your academic achievements if you're a student. Uh, the ability for you to get a scholarship to college or whatever it is. There are so many things that we can find to put our confidence in. And yet, our ultimate security is found in God, the one who saves his anointed. Now, how does this, how does this confidence actually help us? Let me give you two ways I think this confidence actually helps us. The first one is this. Let's notice uh, the, the wording in verse 1 and verse 9. So if you look in your Bibles, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. Right, so hang on to that, the day of trouble. That's the anxiety that they're facing before this battle, but it could be larger than that, right? We can use it in lots of different circumstances. The day of trouble. Now look at verse 9. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. The, the, the Hebrew there could be translated in the day of our calling, in the day of prayer. Right? Do you see the transformation that's happened? When the people are reminded of God's faithfulness to his anointed, their confidence grows, and the day of trouble becomes a day of prayer. And I think that's a lesson not just for the Israelites, 
But that's a lesson for us, right? That with the confidence that God has given in all that Jesus has done for us, our day of trouble, whatever it is that you may be facing this morning, it is for the believer a day of prayer. We come with the foundation of all that Jesus has accomplished for us. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't. And he died in our place, taking the penalty for the sin and guilt that we deserved. He was raised to new life by his Father. And he is seated over all things, ruling and reigning even now. With the confidence of all that Jesus has accomplished, we can face whatever our day of trouble is as a day of prayer. We can go to school tomorrow amidst all of the positive notification emails that continue to come. We can go to work. We can continue to love our neighbor as ourselves in a sacrificial way because of the work that God has accomplished for us through his Messiah, through Jesus. It's a day of prayer for us. Secondly, Lastly, we don't actually have to pray this prayer anymore. I mean, this psalm is helpful to us. It's instructive and it's useful, but it is, it is finished. I love, hark the voice of love and mercy. I'm so thankful we sang that this morning. That it is finished, it is finished, right? That, that refrain is true. We know on this side of the cross that everything that Jesus has accomplished for us is finished, there is no anxiety. Is God going to act? Will he really save his anointed? Yes, he's done it. It's completed. It is finished. Now, he, isn't sa- he didn't get saved in the way we expected, and there is suffering, and there is death in the midst of his saving. But Jesus is victorious. He reigns over all. His work is finished. Now, our days continue, our days of trouble and days of prayer, and yet we know without a doubt that Jesus, in his first coming, accomplished all that we need for salvation, and in his second coming, will set everything to rights. The new heavens and the new earth are as sure to us as believers as I am standing here before you now, as real as the bread and the wine that you're about to take is his victory for you. When you are tempted to put your confidence in other things, remember all that Jesus has accomplished for you. Move into the world with his confidence and in hope of his second coming. And with that, we'll we'll pray and ask him to help us to do that. Lord God, we do thank you for the confidence that is ours because of the finished work of Jesus. Lord, our days are full of trouble and worry and sadness and difficulty. And yet, Lord, the great hope of all who believe is that you have overcome the world that because of your victory, we will experience that same victory. Because of your death and resurrection, our death is not final.
Death has lost its sting. We will be raised with you to enjoy the new heavens and the new earth. Give us that confidence even now that we would face whatever comes our way with great hope in all that Jesus is and has done for us. We pray in his name. Amen.